everybody, welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. It's the fourth day of Spawnmas. And if you're not familiar with what Spawnmas is, it's uh, it's the celebration of Spawn. It's the <laughs> announcement that we are going, in our insanity, in my insanity, we're going to be reading every issue of the main Spawn series in the year 2022. But we thought we'd kick it off a little early, leading up to Christmas, celebrating the birth of Christ heaven by talking about <laughs> hell hell spawn yeah the todd father's greatest creation spawn so in the 12 days leading up to christmas rocky and i are talking about the first 12 issues of spawn we have been pleasantly surprised by how how well these hold up they're pretty fantastic so uh yes let me first compliment you rocky on your festive uh outfit there yeah. Even well, have the, the naughty across the. Uh, I do. Hat. I I could yeah. I I could flip it all the way around and and be, be and it you know be the nice side, but I mean we're reviewing Spawn, so it's got to oh, yeah. be it's got to be naughty, right? I mean, come on. Exactly. You know, and remember, exactly. you know, and Al Simmons was is an atheist. That's the irony that he became a basically a a, a Spawn a hell Spawn of of. Um, Malabolgio, the devil. So, I mean, it's kind of ironic that an atheist becomes a, uh, you know, becomes a uh, nothing but a, a soldier of the devil. So it's it's interesting, you know, not, not very holy, but, you know, tis the season. So, you know, let's have some fun. <laughs> yeah, you, that's interesting. You bring that up, We him being an atheist, because we haven't talked at all about sort of the, the re religious overtones that McFarlane is not shying away from at all. He's basically saying this is this is how it is. This is heaven. This is hell. Um, you know, all under the guise of this sort of horror comic. And you know, as, as much as we've talked about the fact that this holds up really well, and especially in terms of pacing, you know, I think a lot of the things that McFarland got criticized for back in the day, um, comics sort of drifted in that direction, and then even further past it. You know, like people say, ah, there's not enough story in a, in a single issue because the panels are too big and the art is showcased too much. Man, you got a ton of story in, in these compared to modern comics, you know, where, where you can read them in five minutes. Um, yeah. Did it did these issues of Spawn have as much story as, you know, some of the other comics of the time? Eh, maybe not. But again, when you go back and read them in the context of the modern time, I think they, they hold up really, really well. And then, like I said, the other thing being... Uh, sort of this, the religious overtones. Um, but there's definitely a feel of of reading Spawn. And I think this is really part of the appeal of Todd McFarlane himself as a creator. When you're a follower of Todd McFarlane, when you, when you follow his work and, you know, you read his books and you are, are part of sort of the McFarlane community, as it were, you're in with the cool kids, right? Like there was a feeling at the time when Spawn was coming out, like everybody was reading it. And, and if you weren't, you were not with the cool kids, you know what I mean? And so even though maybe it wasn't the best comic, you know, technically at the time in terms of, you know, writing and, and McFarlane hadn't written a ton and he was still finding his footing, it had a following and it mattered because you were in with the cool kids, you know? Um, so again, I, I think this stuff holds up really, really well. What's going to be interesting. There've been some retcons because of lawsuits and that kind of stuff. And we'll get into that when we get to those sort of issues, but I'm, I'm curious. I, and we haven't, Rocky and I haven't talked about it. We don't know what we're going to do, 
because some of it's been retconned away. So do we read the original? Do we read the replacements where things have been changed? And, and so we have some decisions to make about that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I'm, I'm sort of continually surprised as we get into these early issues, how well this stuff uh, holds up. It's, it's really quite good. And maybe McFarland should have gotten more credit at the time, or maybe retroactively well, he should be getting credit. Well, we were also talking uh, to further give him credit. I, you know, we were talking earlier before we started this, uh, this uh, podcast and this live stream that uh, there was a lot of competition to spawn in 1992. 1992 is the image revolution. And there was also, as we talked about the death of Superman, uh, young blood, I mean, there was uh, Wildcats. Uh, there was that, that Valiant Universe Jim Shooter w took off. This was a huge year. This was before 90. This is four years before 1996, where there was the comic book glut and the market crashed. I mean, this was a, arguably one of the biggest years in, in modern day comic books. Uh, and the competition against Spawn was immense, but it still managed to be near the top of the heap. So when you think about all the competition there, it it's it's another, I mean... It, it makes me realize, as again, as we re read this, that no wonder this wasn't as bad as, you know, I, and not that I remember it as being bad. I remember it as being entertaining then, but I didn't think it would stand up the, to the test of time as it has rereading it. But it has. And I think it actually stands up better to the test of time. I recently read The, the Death of Superman a while back, and, and I actually enjoy this reading Spawn a little bit more. So it, it's interesting. Yeah, so the death of Superman, uh, Superman number 75, came out in January 1993. So if we look at the uh, events leading up to that, they were certainly happening at, at around the same time that this uh, issue four of Spawn that we're going to talk about in detail in a minute. Uh, it came out in September, on September 1st, 1992. So if we talk about some other books that, that came out around that time, uh, yeah, Valiant was hitting big. And it wasn't just that Valiant was hitting big. Valiant sort of had an, an image to a lesser extent, but Valiant sort of had this independent cred, right? And Wizard Magazine, which was also a huge thing, it started in uh, 91 uh, and it immediately became, you know, this huge popular thing among comic fans. And if if Image was promoting you or uh, uh, Wizard Magazine rather was promoting you, if, if your comic books were on the Wizard top 10, it was sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Valiant was all over that top 10. And, and, you know, when if you take a Valiant comic of that era and you compare it to a Spawn comic of that era, mm -hmm. yes, the Valiant comic's going to have much more meaty story. Uh, it's going to have, like, more realistic art. All the Valiant comics of the time, they had sort of a house style in terms of artwork and coloring, and, and you recognized it as a Valiant comic. It's much more realistic. To compare that to Spawn with you know, elongated anatomy and uh, really bright colors and giant panels. It was a completely different type of storytelling. So you can see why, despite the fact that if you look at the best-selling or key comics from 1992, you know, Spawn number one is, is, is second only to Amazing Spider-Man 361, which is the first appearance of Carnage, which, you know, obviously that's from the big two. And, you know, a lot of it, you can almost credit Carnage and his success to Todd McFarlane because, you know, Carnage being a, an offshoot of Venom, well, Amazing Spider-Man being being such a bestseller because of what McFarlane did on that title. Um, 
but yet, yeah, you see Spawn on the list, but then you see Harbinger number one, you see Rye Zero, Eternal Warrior number four, Exo Manowar number one, Solar Man of Adam 10, Harbinger Zero Pink, Shadow Man number one, Rye number one. There's all of these uh, Valiant comics that, like I said, Wizard was promoting left and right. So if, if that's the stuff that's most popular, if that's the stuff that's being um, touted as the hottest stuff, of course, Spawn is not going to compare favorably at the time to those books. Now, I haven't gone back and read a lot of the early Valiant stuff in a long time either. I'm sure it holds up in its own way. But in the context of today's books and the way they're built, yeah, I think Spawn didn't get enough credit at the time. And maybe it's just, you know, hindsight 2020. Here we are 300 issues later, Spawn's still around. Where are those Valiant, where are those Valiant books, right? Like exactly. the whole company went bankrupt. And then they relaunched, and now it sort of feels like they're going away again because their their books aren't aren't really that great. So it's it's a pretty interesting way to uh, to look at things. Um, but again, 1992 was a very interesting time for comics because not only did you have Image coming out and selling all these books, but you did have Valiant coming out and selling all these books. And you know, it's only a smattering of of Marvel and DC. You still had um, Uncanny X-Men that, that was in the height of its popularity with the Claremont run. You had Jim Lee's X-Men coming out. Um, Superman was the best-selling title over at DC, like I said, in the lead-up to uh, the death of Superman because all that was rumored. But that's it. Like In terms of Marvel Comics, you have X-Men and Spider-Man. For DC Comics, it's only Superman on the list. Um, but the majority of the list for Key Comics in 92 are Valiant Comics and image comics. Uh, you have Spawn, you have Wildcats, and you have um, uh, Youngblood, which which is kind of low on the list with Youngblood won it at number 50 best-selling book. So uh, a very interesting time. Um, and yeah, I just don't think that Spawn got enough credit at the time because of, it was just very different than the other, in, in terms of the aesthetic, in terms of the way the story was structured and how the, it was art first. It was just different than anything else at the time. Yeah. And like I said, the pendulum has swung now to where, you know, comics caught up to where Spawn was. And now modern comics have swung even further where you, you don't even get as much story in a modern comic as you do in a, a Spawn comic from the early nineties. Yeah. I, I think the, the way that comparable. I, I would phrase it that uh, just to build on what you're saying that in, in 1992 Spawn got a lot of attention but it never got the credit maybe that it deserves. Whereas now Spawn is getting a lot more credit in and perhaps, well, it's still getting a lot of attention too, uh, but it's the, 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 the credit has caught up with the attention that uh, after all, it is 30 years now. It means the longest running independent title well-deserved. Uh, I mean, and you know, it's one of those things where over time, I mean, the, the best stories, I mean, it's like anything that, you know, the the most interesting characters will eventually they will endure and they and the most interesting characters will endure through periods of time when even the storytelling might be less than stellar uh but they'll endure because there's something about the character that's compelling and i think we're touching upon that and you can see the the what makes spawn such an interesting character and al simmons and the and the mythology of spawn in in those in these opening 12 days 12 days of spawnness that we're going to be exploring yeah, I'm. I'm going to be interested to see if it actually does hold up all the way through, 
because um, yeah. yeah, Spawn does get credit for being the you know longest independent, you know highest numbered independent comic of all time. Um, but we know there's going to be rough spots, and and yeah, it has gotten credit and it got attention when it hit 300 and more, you know circulation numbers are up and everything. But will it fall back down as the attention fades? Does it really get the credit it deserves for these early issues? Like who who else besides us is going back and reading? Uh, these issues who's discovering spawn for the first time Uh, i i hope that we have some listeners that that maybe have never read these early issues that are being inspired by us talking about them to go and check them out you know um because yeah i think they're they're definitely worth revisiting this comic is 30 years old it's definitely worth revisiting so let's talk a little bit in detail about the the events of spawn number four we uh at the end of last issue violator had uh gotten to spawn, gotten to Al Simmons uh, at the end of a really, really bad, terrible day for him where <laughs> everything that could go wrong went wrong and he ripped his heart out and Al Simmons was like, F you, Violator. I don't need my heart. I'm not even human anymore. And he, he stands up with a gaping hole in his chest, this green light emanating out of it saying, uh, yeah, that didn't do anything. Let's try it again, this time with some real damage. And, and Violator's kind of beside himself i don't believe it who gave you such powers humans aren't supposed to be like this and violator's like what he doesn't need his heart he's been going around town ripping the heart out of mafia guys and they've just been falling but you know uh, clearly spawn is much more than that much much more than human these days despite the fact he looks like hammered uh meat as it were (laughs) um and and yeah violator gets kind of pissed off they start fighting Spawn using up a, a lot of his powers, and we get some some really great images from uh, McFarland. Some some close ups of Spawn's hands with the talons and the spikes and whatnot. And um, as Violator kind of discards his heart, I guess for nostalgia' sake, <laughs> Al Simmons picks it up, puts it back in his chest, heals himself, says that's better. Um, and uh, he says, "Well, I know your master's the scum that must be that's been screwing with my life too." and uh, decides that he's going to take out all his anger and angst that he's been feeling about this deal that he made with the devil. He, he knows that he got screwed, shouldn't have done it. And he's, he just blasts away, letting loose with all his power uh, to violate or blast a hole in him. But just like Spawn can live with a hole in him, so can Violator. They're, they're very much two sides of uh, the same coin in terms of the power they've been granted. And they're both immortal. So they have somewhat of a, a knockdown drag out and eventually their master, does, you know, as, as limbs are torn off and it's, it's, it's kind of gross when you see Spawn's arm go flying with the, <laughs> it looks like a ham hock with the bone sticking uh, right in the middle. And then daddy shows up, uh, you know, and he's like, I gave you guys far too much credit. It's not necessary to mutilate each other. Neither one of you can die. You don't, you're jealous of each other. You don't realize you're sibling siblings from the same family. Um, basically stop uh your fighting because you know i i created both of you and you're going to be working for me and, and it the, the page where uh magbolia here uh sort of describes what his plans are is oh my god so much so many words so many words from mcfarland this this is one of those pages where he's sort of showing his rookie um skills as a writer uh if you scroll down another couple pages rocky i think you'll you'll sure. get to it oh yeah um yeah i think it is it one more after that uh another one where he's laughing where 
says, let me see, Jesus in there. Uh, yeah, actually, a little, a little. Yeah, the, it's two pages after where he cuts his arm off is the one that I'm talking about. And maybe it doesn't seem like as much dialogue in, in the. Uh... Well, he cuts his arm, so it's right here then. That's where all the exposition. Yeah, yeah, is. yeah. That's it. That's it right there. And it doesn't look like much because it's. Um, I just use giant redactive boxes to, to do it, but <laughs> it's, it's word balloon after word balloon, after word balloon, after word balloon. He's, he's, he's given a, he's given a speech here. And I, you know, again, I, I just think that it it shows that, yeah, uh, McFarlane had, had something to learn. And, and Rocky talked about it when we, when we talked about last issue where so much of it is not necessary. Like we, we see, we can see this. You don't necessarily have to tell us also. Um, so it, it, it makes <laughs> this issue makes for a, a bit of a longer read actually in terms of what we're just talking about. But basically Magbolia basically tells them you got to stop fighting in a way you're on the same team. Your job is to basically recruit humans for me because uh, I, although I have millions of souls in hell uh, you know, I, I need millions more for the coming war against heaven or, or whatnot. So th that's the job of, of the violator. That's the job of, of spawn. And, uh, after Malabolgia sort of scolds them, then he just sort of leaves them to their own, uh, their own devices. So they're yeah. healed and uh, yeah, go ahead, Rocky. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, Malabrogia, he 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 really rubs it in. I mean, he and he spells it out. I mean, it's like it's like Todd McFarlane is, the, the, you know, is so he really wants to make sure the reader understands exactly why Al Simmons was recruited because and 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 the devil here, Malabrogia, Bolgia, he spells it all out. You, it's because you were a, you're a soldier and you were you already you knew how to kill people and. And uh, you're 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 perfect for what I want to do, and and both you and the violator, you're my pawns. You're gonna do what I say. The, the devil treats them both like garbage here. They're, you know, he's, yeah. he's a, he he has absolute contempt for them. Uh, he doesn't care. He knows they got to do his bidding. He knows he's got Al Simmons by by the balls. He, there's nothing Al Simmons can do. You know, Al Simmons might have a low sperm count, which he found out to much chagrin last issue because he finds out his ex-wife Wanda or his, his his former wife Wanda as a child with an, with his best friend. He's all depressed. But I mean, there's nothing he can do about it. He uh, the more power that Spawn uses, the closer he gets to death. And then when he dies for a second time, whatever that might be, he's going to end up in hell with Malabolgia anyway. Anyway, I mean, this guy and Melbrosia is rubbing it in, and he and, and Melbrosia even makes a point of saying saying to him, he reminds Al Simmons that even though you know, he says, "Look, even though you're an atheist, uh, I'm here to tell you that there is a God, and not only is there a God, but you are now the enemy of God. You never believed in a God, but there is a God." And I'm the opposite of a god, and God is now your enemy. And I mean, when you think about what he's saying here, I mean, you really get into the story. It's like, oh my God, yeah, like this is this is pretty much the worst case scenario for anybody's soul. I mean, it's one thing to lose your soul, but you know, 
You might even think at some point you're going to have maybe the sympathy or the love of God, but no, no, your God is now your enemy. You're working, you're working for me. It's not just, I, you know, you're not a victim here, Al Simmons. You're my soldier. <laughs> so this was, this was exciting stuff back in the day. And, and it's still, it's still good stuff. And, and there's a reason why there's going to be another Spawn movie coming out. I think this is, I, even though this might sound a little bit tropey after all this time, there's something still, I think there's still some excitement about that kind of plot line. Yeah, and again, I think the reason it, it was so criticized at the time is is that again, and and uh, credit to to McFarlane because I think he does a, a a great job and and got got too much critical, um, bad press for it. Um, but but the mistakes he makes are the the mistakes of a writer that just hasn't written a lot, right? Like he's not subtle at all. And we talked about it last uh, issue with kind of the lecherous former colleague of. Um, <laughs> of Al Simmons and, and here, you know, Maldibolgia is not subtle at all either. Like maybe you didn't need to put in all these words, but that's just Todd. And if you've, <laughs> if you've ever had a chance to meet Todd McFarlane and talk to him, you completely understand why he's, he writes this. This is how he talks. Like yeah. the guy is, is very loquacious and I, and I love him for it. Yeah. yeah he, he's great to interview. Cause you ask him one question and he'll go on for like half an hour and it's all good <laughs> stuff. So, uh, yeah, you, you kind of see, um, why people were maybe a little critical of it at the time. And and yeah, you can still be critical of it now. It's a little expositional. Um, but I, I, yeah, again, I think in retrospect, looking back at it, it's, it's really not that bad. And, and the other thing that I, th I think why it sort of got a bad rap, we're not that far removed from, from that sort of magical year in comics of 1990, uh, 1986, rather that changed everything, right? Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, all these sort of uh, hey, this is com comics are for adults and what have you, and and obviously this is not this is not Alan Moore, you know, this is not uh, uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight. This is this is a guy who's got incredible skills when it comes to to narrative storytelling, and is still sort of figuring it out from a, a writing standpoint. So I think you you get, you cut him a little slack, um, but in terms of the story, what what's funny, what stands out here is after giving this speech. Uh, Maltabolgia heals Spawn's arm and then Violator's like very much the jealous little brother. Hey, what about me? How about something for my effort, right? Like, uh, and Maltabolgia, like, uh, he scolds him. He's like, you were supposed to be keeping Spawn out of trouble. You've done a terrible job. You're a disgrace to hell. Now, here's a guy who's been around and been serving Maltabolgia for much longer than Spawn has, right? And, and you, you sort of, you, you definitely get the feeling that there it's building animosity between violator and spawn like he they're already both scolded by the dad and then the dad sort of relents and says yeah as terrible as everything is for you al simmons let me heal you and and make sure you're okay or whatever you know almost like a little pat on the head and violators over here like what am i you know chopped liver and uh when when maybe he should have kept his mouth shut because when maljabolgia finally turns his attention to him he, he just gets in more trouble and he tells him uh, he's an erratic child and, and he gets grounded. And what that means is uh, he can't shape change. He changes, uh, Maldibolgia changes him back into the sort of the dumpy little fat clown face guy. <laughs> and uh, and he can't he can't change. And he's like, oh my God, I can't change forms. Great. This is just great. It's perfect. Uh, you know, I work my butt off to try to do the right thing. And what do I get for it? Squat. I'm short and fat and ugly and blah, blah, blah. And Spawn's just like, dude, shut up. 
you yeah. could really care less. I, so they, they part. Go ahead, Rock. Yeah, I was just going to say, and the other thing is, Mel Bolgia scolds, scolds Violator by saying, look, why'd you kill all those mob bosses? I mean, the Violator, I mean, one of the things that was a little bit, it ended up being a bunch of misdirection and almost pointless killing. All, all the all the murdering and and the and the killing that that Violator had done in the previous you know in the previous three issues, it really was just for I guess great. It was just for effect. <laughs> it was just to allow Todd McFarlane to show off his art because it, it there were just pointless killings. Because as as uh, as uh, Melabolgia says to uh, Violator, you know. You know, you you killed a bunch of paranoid thieves. Paranoid thieves serve no purpose. So you know, killing all these thieves and all these mobsters and and they end up in hell. They're they're just you know that doesn't help me. So it, it sort of hints at a larger agenda that uh, uh, Melabolgia, the devil, has. And you know, and it it also says something about the violator. The violator. We, we at this point we don't know how long the violator's been a servant of the devil. Uh, but clearly, maybe he's gone a little bit wacky. Maybe he's, you know, he's he's gotten reckless. He's gotten careless, or he's just he's almost more of a blind killer. And it it really shows the the juxtaposition, the difference between the type of soldier of the devil that Al Simmons will be versus the Violator, because they're very very different. And and again, it's 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 not really subtle. <laughs> the differences between the differences between the violator as a soldier of the devil versus Al Simmons, it's not subtle. It's very stark, which really, you know, the lack of subtlety really underscores McFarlane's approach to the entire narrative. Yeah. It really shows that ultimately the violator is not very intelligent, you know, <laughs> from Maljabolgia's uh, perspective, he needs more soldiers. He needs more souls. He needs more people that can fight for him in the war against heaven. So he needs thieves out there thieving. He needs criminals out there breaking the law. So when they do die, they will go to hell. But if uh, if violators out there killing all these mafia people, which then turns all the thieves and criminals into paranoid um, people who won't who don't want to break any laws, well, now you've defeated the purpose of what I'm doing. You know, so yeah, it it definitely shows that the violator is not the the sharpest knife in the drawer. So as they part ways, um, Spawn finds him, uh, himself a, a top coat and a and a hat and he's kind of wandering around thinking about all this stuff that he's learned and should he use his powers to help? Should he not? Because he knows every time he uses them, he's that much closer to a final death. And uh, as he's wandering around, lost in his own thoughts, these two kids run up behind him and say, look, it's that new superhero right on. And Spawn's like shocked, like, wait, how did you, how did you know? And then what he doesn't realize is it's actually Savage Dragon. You know, little tiny bit of a cameo crossover here. Savage Dragon was, you know, on issue four about the same time. Uh, and they're like, look at him. Look at how cool he is. It's a dragon dude from Chicago. And they're watching this news report with this hero. And so it wasn't Spawn that they were uh, they were calling an, a superhero at all in the first place. And then as the issue winds up, we see that Wanda wakes up in the middle of the night from a, a dream and she dreamt that Al was alive and he was different and changed and, and he was asking for help. Uh, and Terry's trying to soothe her, get her to go back to sleep. And she's like, I just, it, it felt like uh, he was almost here. And, but he, he was sort of trapped and God, I think I'm going crazy. Uh, but it just felt so real. And, and obviously this is uh, some foreshadowing of, of what a special relationship Wanda and Al had, despite the fact that she married his best friend because she thought Al was gone for good. Uh, but there's still a connection there. And I think 
McFarlane's hinting at the fact that subtly or subconsciously she's she's still aware of it. So, uh, like I said, a, a bit of foreshadowing. So again, th- th- this issue didn't move the narrative forward as much as as issue three did, but it certainly gave us a lot more context of the relationship between Violator and Spawn. And the biggest thing is it introduced uh, Maglobolgia uh, in in a really good way in terms of we kind of understand that he's using spawn he's using violator but in the long run he doesn't really give a crap about either one of them he only cares about himself and he he has the power to sort of back that up um and it helps solidify the fact that yes it the comic is called spawn and so you know he he is the pov character and the, the character we're supposed to identify with and root for but after you read this you really want to root for him you know based on all the crap that he got put through last issue and then you see how much he's he's manipulated and, and been trapped by uh Magibolgia. uh yeah it a, a good issue yeah and I'll and and, and what solid issue. and what what underscores the, the the fun of spawn is the fact that you could actually uh, he had a he has a cool job so even though he's his soul is cursed the fact that he's basically working for the devil. The great thing about the entire plot thing is that Spawn himself is basically recruited by the devil to find other evil souls to basically send to him. And and that's exactly what Spawn can do. So Spawn can actually kill greater evils, but in service of the devil, as opposed to in service of God. <laughs> so even as an enemy of God, as Malabrosia says... Spawn can still serve a greater good by protecting the innocent. That's the irony of it. That's what I like about the premise is that the the devil wants all these evil souls for his army, but at the same time, Spawn eliminating the the really bad guys is actually a bad thing. Even the Violator, what the Violator did, killed a bunch of mobsters. Well, who's going to lose sleep over mobsters? In fact, even the the, the news broadcasters, the CNN uh, uh, new, the newscasters in the narrative itself. One of the newscasters, I think the one on the CNN, talked about how, who cares all these mobsters are dead? Good riddance to all of them. So the irony is that even though he's working for the devil, he's actually serving arguably a greater good for our society, but at the same time, by sending these more evil serial killers and, and, and mobsters to hell, he's building up the army of uh, Malabosia, which is going to cause a, a, a future problem eventually when all hell breaks loose, assuming that's some of the things that that's, that's the shadows in the background as you're reading this, what's What's the devil's end game here? So, I mean, like I said, it's, it was a really good concept and people forget that at the time, this was, this was, this wasn't exactly tropey in 1992. This was actually, you know, well, you know, well received and beautifully drawn. Yeah, I, uh, the only thing I'll correct you on is because I agree with you. Uh, it wasn't the CNN because CNN always was sort of the, the left leaning, maybe a little bit straight wow. narrative. It was it was the the kind of chubby bald white right. guy uh, that was That's on. <laughs> and if you notice, he, he's yeah. always constantly changing channels. Uh, he's getting a new job on another local station probably because he stuck his foot in his mouth yeah. and cost him too much money in a lawsuit. He kind of represents more of the right wing sort yeah. of. Uh, perspective and he's the one that's always like yeah wh- why are you investigating trying to find out who the serial killer is that's killing um these mafia people good riddance you know 
Like I'm yeah. happy for them to be gone. I think so. this is the first issue where this is the I think because in the first this is the fourth issue that we're reviewing now. The, I think every one of the first three issues had the news broadcasters on there at least yeah. on one page. This is the first time where we don't have any. Yep. Yeah, I imagine uh, McFarlane might have run out of room with uh, that big <laughs> battle between um, yeah between Violator and and Spawn. So uh, yeah, so uh, again, a solid issue. Um, and, and yeah, I, I keep going back. Uh, I wish I could remember better, you know, what the criticisms were back then, because again, it, it was selling well. Um, and, and there was, a, um, there was definitely a subsection of comic fans that, that absolutely loved it. And it was more almost like of the academic side of, of comics that were sort of turning their nose up at, at spawn. But in terms of, you know, commercially, yeah, it was doing really well, much like Valiant, uh, image was promoted heavily by, Wizard Magazine, not to the extent Valiant was. Um, you almost think that Jim Shooter must have had pictures of somebody blackmailing people based on how much Wizard just fell in love with with Valiant. But well, you know, it's funny. I remember in the early '90s, I really, I was really into the Punisher as well, and uh, because 1992 was also the early years when when Frank Castle was coming out. I think uh, I, I just, you know, I, I just remember collecting Punisher at the time, and. You know, the idea of vigilante justice, death wish, you know, all, all that stuff. This There's a strong vigilante element to this of of basically a, a spawn of Satan being the one who, who's better suited to, you know, protect the innocent against scum and serial killers than somebody who's an, actually an agent of the devil himself. And I, I think that was part of the attraction here. That's why I remember loving the first 12, uh, it, well, for, for the... I know what's coming up because I remember loving the first six or seven issues and uh, we're going to be coming up on a particular, we're going to be talking about a, a particular bad guy that the spawn is going to be taken out. Uh, uh, something to do with ice cream. Ah. <laughs> and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on another day of spawnness. But uh, you know, like I remember loving, I remember quite loving this and I remember getting out of it around issue 12 and it's funny, like when when I did some when I a quick uh, Wikipedia check, I, I believe the sales start, started to to stagnate a little bit around in in the early twenties uh, on on Spawn, and, and it might be that the formula sort of wore off very very fairly quickly after that. But uh, but the there's no denying that the early issues definitely seem to uh, heat up the uh, sales charts. Well, I think you know one thing that we can't. Uh, for, neglect to mention, and I, and I did mention it before on a, on a previous um, 12 Days of Sunmas, is we're going to cover the first 12 issues here, which would be a year's worth of comics, but it took almost two years for those to come out. So in, in terms of it stagnating and whatnot, a lot of it was just losing momentum because it was just late. And, and you know, people, that wasn't as big of a thing. Like now when things are late, you know, even from the big two, you... I'm not saying you expect it, but you, you sort of take it with a grain of salt. And it's not that big of a thing, right? Back then, you did not have late comics from Marvel or DC. If the regular issue wasn't ready to ship, they had um, they had backup issues ready to go. You know, they, they, they had, I can't remember what they called them, um, but they had them in a filing cabinet. You know, like if if the Spider-Man issue, if somebody got sick and the artist couldn't draw it or the writer was behind on the script or what have you, uh, inventory, that's what they call them, inventory issues. You had one that it, 
and and basically all literally all you'd need to do is like create a an, a first page and a last page just like a framing sequence you know like it could be in the middle of spider-man having a fight with mysterio and um and then the next part of the mysterio fight can't can't happen so instead we'll we'll do an issue with spider-man uh, fighting werewolf by night and they'll you literally have to just do two pages right so you're you get somebody, anybody, didn't matter who, wasn't the regular writer, or maybe it was, but it was a different artist because it was already written. And they'd, they'd do one page where, okay, Mysterio's using his illusion powers on Spider-Man on the first page. And then the, the whole rest of the issue, except for the last page, would be Spider-Man fighting Werewolf by Night. And the last issue would be him like waking up from that illusion. And the next issue would actually be the second part of the Mysterio that should have been in the previous issue. So even if something happened because they had these inventory issues stuck in a filing cabinet somewhere to use if they needed to, you didn't have late books. Books weren't pushed. They still came out every month um, until Image, you know, and uh, it just it lost so much momentum and it, it created some animosity between retailers and, and, uh, and Image as a publisher and their creators because – your invoice would come in from Diamond or uh, or Capital City. There was two distributors back then, uh, and you would be charged for these image books that you had ordered, but they wouldn't actually be in your delivery. So you're paying for stock that you don't have and can't sell to recoup the money you just spent on it. I mean, you can imagine, you can imagine how much animosity that that created. So uh, I think that had a lot to do with. Uh, that I mean that that was a big reason why I fell off because I, I just I stopped paying attention. I, I think I was still buying it, but then I, before I knew it, I was like three or four issues behind. And you know, when you're not reading it on a monthly basis, when it's not coming out on a regular schedule, it just makes it that much easier to to jump off. So I think that had a lot to do with why um, the numbers started dropping. Now, when we're going back and we're, we're reading comics from 30 years ago we got them all right. Like it's going to take us a long time before we get caught up to, um, to current issues. So we won't have that. And, and, and the fact that they're late and the story losing momentum because of that, we won't have to deal with that at all. So, uh, I just wanted to mention that because I think it definitely contributed to people jumping off of, uh, jumping off of the book, basically. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Rocky? Uh, uh, <laughs> I remember. I love the '90s. I mean, uh, I, I, the early '90s bef before the big. The funny thing is, is that I, I love the the years 1992 to 1996. I was actually in law school. I was the most broke I ever was in my life, and yet <laughs> I always visited the comic shop every Wednesday in up in Edmonton, Alberta. I, I went to University of Alberta. My three years of law school. I was broke, but I I went to the comic shop and I, the retailer always let me read the comics off the shelf. He was a, he became a friend of mine. And I didn't, he did, He allowed me to read the comics without buying them. So I read a lot of comics during that period of time, but did not actually have to buy them because I befriended the uh, the retailer. And so I did read my a good number of Spawn that I never did actually buy. And uh, so I always look back on the, on the early 90s sort of fondly. And I always sort of joke that when, when the bottom hit in 96, when the, when the, when the, all the bank, you know, the Marvel almost declared bankruptcy, et cetera, et cetera. I always sort of say that I'm glad for like 
for like the last 30 years, I was so glad I never bought most of the, I read a lot of comics in the nineties, but I never bought them. And I'm so glad because they're worth nothing. But now all of a sudden, especially the Spider-Man and the Spawn, they're starting to go up in value. Now I kind of wish I would have bought them, but I do have four copies of Spawn number one though. I did, I did jump on that bandwagon and I, that was, that was a dollar bin comic for like decades and then all of a sudden now spawn number one is worth something so and and issue nine first appearance of angela which we'll be reviewing as well is worth something but it's just funny i, I got great memories of uh of of reading spawn and, and and even young blood and all that all those different eclectic artistic styles that certainly aren't my favorite anymore but uh uh it's uh, mcfarland still holds his own his art's pretty good and uh and uh, any, you know, McFarlane, I, I think of all the McFarlane and Jim Lee out of that image crew, I think, you know, f- probably fared better historically to, into the modern day with their artistic styles. But uh, yeah, great time. Yeah, I continue. Yeah, to that's a great com- yeah. yeah, that's a great conversation to have in terms of the trajectory. Jim eventually sold his empire to DC. And, and now he's, you know, arguably the biggest name at DC. But would he have been better off sticking sticking on his own interesting conversation um yep. as far as spawn number one yeah i think i bought seven copies <laughs> never sold any of never you sold still any got of them, them? So I, still, still... I still yeah i still have all seven awesome. <laughs> uh in a box uh, somewhere um but yeah i i and it's funny you talk about reading co- so I, I knew somebody that did that at a, a shop that i went to as well and, and you know he was friends with the owner and the owner didn't mind mm-hmm. um but i, I remember the, the shop that i went to when i think it was I'm trying to remember. I went to. I've gone to so many different shops over the years. I think it was the shop that I went to when I was in college. They had they had signs hanging from the, every rack saying, "This is not a library." Yeah. So yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. they would have. You know, it was to me. Poor, yeah, poor college, poor college students, man. Like, yeah, and I think about that now, right? Like, I've been thinking, okay, so I bought seven issues of Spawn Number One at a dollar ninety dollar ninety five a piece when most comics at that time were. I think 75 cents or a dollar, maybe a dollar 25. It was, if it was the the deluxe Baxter issues like uh, noon teen Titans was, or Legion of superheroes. Um, But yeah, two bucks, dollar 95. So I bought seven comics comics cost me $14. Oh my God. That's so much money. 14. And now you're like $14. That'll get you three books. Maybe. Maybe three uh, books nowadays. I, I remember so. my roommates in uh, we 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 lived in a in a in a, in a sort of an old uh, fraternity house. Me and three other um, my my law school roommates, and we uh, I remember they would give me shit more than once because they would see a pile of comics because I I would buy some comics right, but you know because they we were all kind of broke and uh, we we're all budgeted and 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 they always sort of bugged me because we we'd also we also had a social life right. So I mean, a dollar ninety nine, even back then. I mean, I think it was like a dollar seventy five was the price of a beer, right? I mean, you know, so yeah. it's like, I mean, every time I bought a comic, that's one less beer I could drink. And then, you know, as buddies, we'd always borrow. You know, we'd always take turns buying drinks. And if I couldn't buy a drink, they'd always give me shit saying they're going to sell my comics on me. So <laughs> I said, "You're going to have to find them first, you bastards." But, but yeah, yeah. But, uh, God, we could rem- Yeah, we start talking about college stuff. We could be here all night. I, yeah. So I, I, you know, I live next door to the captain of the, the hockey team and there's a bunch of Canadians on our floor and a bunch of the hockey members. And um, the way I subsidized my comic buying back then was I, I was the only one on the floor that had a Sega Genesis. Like, yeah. you know, that was, that was the system back then. And I had NHL 92 
<laughs> and man, we put, we had epic battles of NH ninety two for a dollar a game. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I got really good at it. I mean, th those guys would kick my ass on the uh, playing real hockey. You know, right. I, I wasn't on the hockey team, but they were. I knew how to skate. I had my own skate, so they would invite me to the hockey rink. Um, <laughs> And and so it was Berkeley Ice was because I went to school in San Francisco Bay Area and it was Berkeley Ice would let the hockey team come and practice for free but the caveat was it, practice started at 11 p.m. at night and so I used to go on Sundays um, they would ask other guys to come and and kind of play the the opposing team so they could actually have a real scrimmage because yeah. I had my own skates or whatever and so I would go and man. They, they would take their – I would beat them in Sega hockey when it wasn't real, and they would get their revenge and beat the shit out of me on the <laughs> ice. And I, I think I got the worst end of that deal. But as – you know, what I still have to show for it this the, to this day is I still have a lot of those comics that I bought. That's right. So the, the comic shop that I went to was uh, in Concord. It was called The Land of Neva Was, and it was spelled N-E-V-A-W – uz like phonetically you know <laughs> never was yeah. and i kind of i, I love that shop i love that shop and then um i went back like maybe 15 years after i was out of college i was in the area i was like oh, i'm gonna go buy my old comic it wasn't there i was heartbroken that was such a great shop that's where i bought death of superman and yeah. where i bought a lot of the issues of spawn and yeah all, all subsidized by my great skills at playing uh nhl 92 which in retrospect, it wasn't really fair. It was my Sega Genesis. It was in my dorm room. I got to play and practice like far more than anyone else. Yeah. But man, did I talk a lot of shit uh, and then pay for it on Sunday nights. Uh, and, I know, but it's like saying, uh, you know, I mean, w all of us in our university years are, you know, we, we talk about, oh, we, you know, we, you know, we piss all our money away, you know, we, cause we, we drink and we party too much and everything else. But I got to admit, like I had a budget for comics and I didn't piss it all away. And a lot of those comics... I mean, they're, they're, they're actually, they have some value now. And uh, those back issues I bought back in the day, especially in 2020, I mean, I got to tell you, like comic books have shot up in value a lot more than I ever thought they would. So I kind of chuckled because I always sort of, I always wondered how am I wasting money more by having a beer or buying a comic book? I'm not really yeah. sure, but now I'm thinking, I'm glad I bought that comic and stayed sober that much longer. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I think about is, yeah, you, obviously you think about the mistakes or things you would have done different or whatever, but the older you get, you know, there was a time where I was like, man, the mistakes I made in college or, or choices I made in college weren't the best. But the older I get, the more I'm glad that I did things the way I did because I have like really <laughs> fun stories and crazy stories yeah. and good memories, you know. And I think oh, yeah. now I think if I had it to go back and do it all over again, I would do the same stupid shit because it's just <laughs> it's, it brings a smile to your face when you think about that stuff, you know. Yeah so fantastic so anyway everybody thanks for joining us on this trip down college memory lane uh but no seriously everybody th <laughs> thanks for joining us for another episode of, of 12 days of spawnmas i'm having a blast doing these like i i'm enjoying this so much Fun. more than i thought i would uh, yeah. i didn't i really did not account for the nostalgia factor and how much these books really stand up like i i was like well i really want to get to the issues of spawn that i've never read and get caught up to modern day and understand the mythology and whatever. And so I can, so I can uh, look at King spawn and gunslinger spawn and scorch and whatever that's coming out with a more analytical and critical eye with some knowledge. Uh, and that, that was my end goal, but now I'm, I'm enjoying it for, for the comics that we're reading right now in and of themselves. So I'm, I'm really glad that it, that we decided to do this looking forward to next year. I say that now, 
you might get to me in mid February and I'll be like, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> I just get an episode out every day. Who knows? Uh, but for now I'm really enjoying it. We hope you're all uh, enjoying it too. I will once again, remind everybody as I always do, if you're checking us out, just audio only, be sure you head over to YouTube, uh, watch the episodes there. You can check out the art. You can see Rocky and my smiling faces. Also be sure you do a search for comic space, boom, exclamation point. That's Rocky's channel on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, every subscription, every like on the video uh, really helps us. It, it expands our reach. You know, the more uh, people that we reach, the more access we get to creators and what have you. And uh, we just did a, an interview, Rocky and I did with uh, uh, one of our favorite creators earlier tonight that'll be coming out on Friday. Uh, I have another interview coming up tomorrow with a really big name creator. So that'll be coming out soon. So again, you can really help us out by subscribing whether you're subscribing to Rocky's uh, YouTube channel, or if you, you've always watched us on YouTube, but you've never taken the time to subscribe to the audio side of things over at the Comic Source, either on your favorite podcast app or your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, whatever it is. Again, it just really helps us out. It helps raise our profile. It helps get us more access. So uh, we certainly appreciate the support as always. Uh, we hope you guys are enjoying 12 Days of Spawnmas. We definitely are having a lot of fun doing it. So uh, as we're winding up here, I'll once again wish everybody happy holidays, whatever it is that you celebrate, Festivus or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah or Christmas, whatever it is, we hope you're enjoying this holiday season. And uh, we'll definitely be back for uh, issue number five tomorrow. And uh, any last thoughts, Rocky? Uh, no, just happy holidays to everyone and thanks for watching. Yep. And with that, we will see you all tomorrow. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.